0: Turn your Bibles to Psalm 20 this morning, Uh, verse number 7 is where we'll be at. We'll just read the whole Psalm of Psalm 20 uh, together this morning. Psalm 20, again next week we're going to go back to the book of Romans. And if you're excited about that, you might not be excited when you hear next week's message because it's hard. Uh, Romans chapter three, verse number ten, basically talks about the depravity of man. You're all wicked. You're all awful. You're all your throats are open, sepulchers. You know, there's all none that are righteous. All are wicked. Uh, it's it's rough. But uh, the good news is is that we don't stand in our own righteousness and how good we are. We stand in the righteousness of Jesus. So uh, man, it, it's going to be awesome. So be here next week as we uh, get back into the book of Romans. We're going through Romans verse by verse. Uh, we started at the beginning of last year, and we're like already like into chapter three. We're just crushing it. Uh, so Psalm 20 this morning. I want to encourage you with this before we jump into this portion of the message. If you're ever going through a rough spot in life and all of us go through rough spots in life, I encourage you run to the Psalms. You'll find whatever you need to help you in those 150 Psalms. I promise you. Whether you're having a good day bad day or something in between, you'll find your help in the Psalms, I guarantee you. Uh, If you wanted to read through the book of Psalms in uh, a month, you could do that. There's 150 Psalms. Read five a day, and you could read the whole book in a a month, and it will just absolutely rock your socks. Uh, You'll find help there. Uh, If you're you're planning on breaking up by five, give extra time to Psalm 119. Just a little tip there for you. Uh, So anyways, uh, Psalms is helpful. Psalm 20 is where we're at today. Uh, We're really going to focus on verses 6 and 7, but we'll read the whole psalm because there's uh, nine verses here. For those of you that don't, don't know, the Psalms is in a category of books that we refer to as poetry, Psalms and Proverbs, not from the fact that they're, they're rhyming verses that we have here, uh, but the, the book of Psalms was literally the song book uh, for the early church and for uh, believers uh, prior to Christ. They would gather together and they would sing these songs as songs of encouragement. Uh, and so I want to encourage you to become very, very familiar with the book of Psalms uh, because it will help you. Psalm 20, verse number 1. The Lord hear thee in the day of trouble, the name of the God of Jacob defend thee. Send thee help from the sanctuary and strengthen thee out of Zion. Remember all thy sacrifices and accept thy burnt sacrifice, Selah. Now, when you come across that word Selah, it means to pause. Again, if this was a, a musical uh, hymn that we were singing, we would stop here for just a moment and kind of soak in everything that you've read so far. So as you read through the book of Psalms, the word Selah means stop and ponder what you've just heard. He goes on, Grant thee according to thine own heart and fulfill all thy counsel." We will rejoice in thy salvation in the name of our Lord, our God. We will set up our banners and the Lord fulfill all thy petitions. Now I know that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear from his holy heaven and the saving strength of his right hand. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord. They are brought down and fallen, but we are risen and stand upright. Save, Lord. Let the King hear us when we call. When I was a kid, probably the mid '80s, late '80s time frame, there was the cola wars that was going on, and the uh, Coke and Pepsi were trying to gain to be the official soda of Americans' hearts, and so uh, there was tons of campaigns going on and ad campaigns and uh, things along those lines. And one of the things that they did was they did the blind taste test, uh, where they would go up and set up a table on the street, and they would film all of this, and uh, they would put it behind a, a partition there, and you wouldn't know what you were drinking, and then you would point to the one that you liked the most, whether it be Coke or Pepsi. And the crazy thing is, this is crazy, right? Coke and Pepsi both did blind surveys, and both of them came up with different results. Isn't that crazy? The Pepsi commercials people always chose Pepsi. The Coke commercials people always chose Coke. Crazy stuff. But what Coke saw was that Pepsi was beginning to eat into its market shares, so they came up with the idea, hey, we're going to make Coca-Cola taste more like Pepsi, and they came out with, does anybody remember? New Coke. New Coke. And the new Coke came out, and it's new, it's, it's flashy, it's better, better tasting than ever. And people who liked Coca-Cola bought it, and they're just like, this stuff stinks. And people began in droves leaving Coke and going to Pepsi, which was the opposite of what Coca-Cola was trying to do. And they, they really pushed it hard. New Coke, you'll love it. If you've tried it, you need to try it again because it's even better than you remember it. And really trying to push this on you, but nobody liked it. And so then after about six months of pushing new Coke and new Coke and new Coke, it totally fell apart. And they came out with Coca-Cola Classic, the original formula. Like they came out with some new product and like we were bringing Coke Classic back because it's the Coke that you love. And they brought it back and slowly phased out new Coke in favor of Coca-Cola Classic Classic. But then the damage had already been done. People had already gone over to Pepsi, and they had lost what they had garnered over the years. They had lost what uh, the uh, people tell us is known as consumer trust. They had hurt and damaged their brand so much that it would take years for them to recover from new Coke. And then uh, when I was in high school, they came out with clear Coke and clear Pepsi. I mean, They were throwing anything at the wall to see what would stick. But the damage had kind of already been done, and it took them years to gain back the market share they lost if they just stuck with where they were at. Trust is a funny thing. Uh, Trust is uh, one of those things that it takes years, sometimes decades to build up, and one small misstep can cause people to wonder, hey, what's this whole thing about? When we talk about trusting in the Lord, which is our theme for this year, and uh, I've entitled today's message, Where Is Your Trust?, Trust is a unique thing because trust is the firm belief in the reliability, truth, ability, or strength of someone or something. So think about that for just a minute. Reliability, truth, ability, or strength. So I can make a determination whether or not I trust someone based on uh, these criteria that we have. I went to an appointment one time. A guy had asked me to meet him at nine o'clock, and for me, uh, I hate being late for anything. Uh, my wife drilled this into me when we were, even when we were dating. Hey, on time and it's early, and and on time or uh, what is it? Early is on time, and on time is late, right? Man, drilled that into me. Evidently not hard enough because I didn't remember it. But, man, I hate being late for anything, and so I'm always five to ten minutes early for everything. I always account for traffic. I always account for parking. I try to account for everything, in the sun, and I hate being two minutes late for anything. So when this guy tells me, hey, I'm going to meet you at 9 o'clock, and, man, I'm there at like 8.55, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting, and it's 9 o'clock, and then it's 9.05, 9.07, and it's just like, uh, hey, uh, Somebody walks by and says, like, oh, what are you here for? He's like, oh, I'm meeting James at, at 9 o'clock. She's like, oh, James? He said he'd be here at 9? Uh, you won't see him until 9.45 or 10. And she's like, what? It's like, oh, yeah, that guy's never on time for anything. And I was just like that's not the case. He wouldn't do that to me of all people, right? He's going to call, he's going to text, and sure enough, about 9.30 rolls around, no James. 9.45 rolls around, still no James. About 10.05, James rolls in. He's just like, oh man, my alarm didn't go off this morning. I got up, and I had to take the dog out, and I couldn't make it here. He's just like, wow, like you wasted an hour of my life that I'll never get back because you are a reprehensible human being, right? oh man, I was angry. What happened? I lost my trust in him. So if I ever got up with a guy again, he's like, hey, let's meet up at noon. I'm going to show up at like 12, 1230 12, just to be safe because he's not going to be on time. By the flip side, you probably know people like this. They're just like, oh, they said that they were going to get me that report by Monday afternoon and it's like two o'clock and it's not here. And they say, oh, if he said you'll have it on Monday afternoon, you'll have it on Monday afternoon. The guy never misses. Man, I want to be the second guy, not the first guy, right? But when it comes to our trust in the Lord, he's always on time. He always does what he says, and he's consistently and constantly good to his word. Trust is one of those things that's unique. It's different than faith, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But trust is one of those things that has to be fostered, earned, and won. You don't automatically have trust, I have to know you, understand you before I'm willing to give you a lot of my trust. Now, I'll trust anybody to a certain degree, I guess you could possibly say, but I'm not gonna trust you with my wallet or my debit card number, or I'm not gonna trust you to hold on to 100 bucks and give it back to me next week unless I have some measure of trust. There are people uh, in my life that I would trust with my life. But just like trust can be fostered, earned, and won, trust can also be diminished, broken, and lost. Once we're no longer trustworthy, we can look at things with a critical eye Imagine I go to to my doctor, and I put a lot of faith and trust in my doctor. Man, I, I love my doctor. I didn't know it was possible to love your doctor, but I totally love my doctor. Uh, good guy. He's a Christian man, loves the Lord, uh, really concerned about me, Talks, asks all the answers all the questions that I got. I got a million and one questions. But imagine this. I go to him. He doesn't really pay that much attention to me. He gives me wrong diagnoses time after time. I go to Long's to pick up my prescription, and they look at me kind of funny, and they say, is this for your wife? And I was like, no, why? Oh, this is a prescription for a woman. It's just like... Are you sure? Can you double check that? Yeah, he put in the wrong prescription and be like, wow, he's giving me the wrong drugs. He's giving me the wrong diagnosis. He doesn't pay attention to me. I don't know that I can trust him because he has broken trust. Does that make sense? So trust is one of those things that has to be maintained. Uh, for those of you that are married couples, I highly encourage every married couple to come to our Marriage Enrichment Weekend coming up this weekend. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning. You get to be around other Christian couples where we're going to talk about how the Bible gives us guidelines for having a better marriage. Every, every family should come to that if you're, if you're able to come. But one of the things that's really important and critical in marriage is trust, I have to believe that you're good to your word. I have to believe that you are where you say that you are. I have to believe that when you tell me something, you're telling me the truth And again, trust is one of those things, especially in marriage relationships, that takes years and decades to build up, and it takes like 30 seconds to rip it all down. Infidelity, pornography, inappropriate messages, all those things destroy trust and kind of take us back to ground zero. Now, can trust be rebuilt? Yes, it's just a slow process. And again, it's it's time. And I often tell Christians this, and, and when I'm trying to help people with situations in their marriage and things where trust has been broken, I always tell them this. Until you can fully trust in your spouse again, I'm just asking you to trust in the Lord instead. Hey, I don't understand this. I don't know why this happened. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's gonna happen in the future, but I trust God to guide me through this process. And so again, when trust has been broken, you can always count on the Lord. So again, when we look at this, idea of trust and it's kind of based on somebody's track record it should be really really easy for us to trust the lord man he's all powerful he's all knowing he's always faithful he knows more than i know he's been around longer than i will ever be around and he has never failed so it should be really really easy to trust the lord but here's the question why is it so difficult why is it so hard for us to trust god Help me with that. That's not a rhetorical question. I want you to answer that. Why is it difficult for us to trust God? Somebody help me. Can't see him. I I can't see him with my own eyeballs the way I can see you. I can trust in you because I can see you with my own eyeballs. Fear. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what he's going to choose. I'm asking God to fix this situation, but I don't know what fix it means to God because fix it to me might mean a whole lot different than fix it to God. means that I don't really know if. I can trust God's fix-it more than I can trust my fix-it. Fear. What else? Pride. Pride. (laughs) I don't need God. I got this. I've I've never needed God a day in my life. Why would I start now? He's not in charge of everything. He, He doesn't know anything more than I do, and so I can handle this. I don't need God. What else? Lack of patience. Hey, I trust God as long as he can get it done by Wednesday, but if God doesn't get it done by Wednesday, I'm going to take matters into my own hands because I can get it done by Monday, you know? I'm not willing to wait on the Lord and trust in the Lord. What else causes us to struggle trusting God? I can do it myself. I can do it myself. Again, I don't need God. I got this handled. I got money to pay my bills. I got a job to, to bring me money. I got. I'm in control of everything. I don't need God. And so when it comes to things like trust in the Lord, it should be like, oh, that's so easy. It's a no-brainer. Like, of course I'm going to trust the Lord. Of course I'm not going to trust myself. I'm a loser. Why would I trust in myself if I can trust in God? It's so simple, but it's incredibly difficult. That's why time and time and time and time again we find throughout Scripture where we're commanded and exhorted and challenged to trust in the Lord. Our theme verse this year comes from Psalm 27, verse number five. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and the promise is he shall bring it to pass. I had like six counseling meetings yesterday with people just asking questions about life and uh, asking questions about marriage and things like that. Every single meeting that I had, I quoted that exact same verse. Hey, we're just going to have to trust the Lord on this one. As if there's another option. Yeah. Think about that for a second. Hey, man, we're just gonna have to trust the Lord in this. As if what? We're gonna trust me? We're gonna trust you? We're gonna trust how much money's in your bank account? We're gonna trust how much you have life figured out? We're gonna trust the connections that you have? What else are we gonna trust in? We find it difficult to trust in the Lord because we're tempted to trust in our own abilities. I got this, I don't need help. I was at Home Depot like six months or so ago, and um, we needed some drywall. And it was the 5 8 inch fire rated drywall which is heavy stuff drywall comes in four feet by eight sheet sheets and typically when you buy drywall it's two pieces taped together at the top and so two pieces of five by eight drywall uh five-eighths inch drywall in four feet by eight feet sheets two of those is heavy i was there by myself I got it off the the thing, got it onto the, the little rolling thing that you got and then we uh checked out, I paid, got it out to to the car. I'm getting ready to get it off there and, and if you've never messed with a drywall, if you break it it's like useless, you know, so I gotta make sure that I get it up on top of the car, get it strapped down without breaking it or busting it or folding it or anything like that. And so all right, here we go. So I pull it up, and then I and so I'm gonna lay it up straight up like this, or it's going long ways like this, and I'm getting ready to lift it and go it on, but I don't want to push it up like this because it's going to fold in the middle and buckle, and so I have to grab it from the middle and slide it on that way. And some guy comes by, and he says, hey, man, can I give you a hand with that? What do you think I said? Nope, I got this. And he's like, are you sure? That looks heavy. I got this. The fact that he said it looks heavy, and then he looks at me, it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? No lie, this has nothing to do with the story. It was just really embarrassing. I went to the doctor a couple of weeks ago, and the nurse is checking me in. She's like, oh, do you exercise? And I said, I do. She said, how many days a week? I said, probably four. She says, what do you do, like walk or something? <laughs> what? Wow. You talk about, like, ego crusher, like, Wow because yeah, obviously all you can do is walk, right? <laughs> wow. And so this guy asked me, do I need help lifting drywall on the top of the car? She's just like, no, please, I got this. By the way, he's like, like you weigh 125 pounds. What are you going to do, you know? Like, you can't, you can't help me. And so I finally get it up there. I get it ratcheted down, get everything done, bring it back, open the front door. I'm bringing it in the, the front door. And my wife says, hey, do you need a hand with that? Ha, ha, ha. You married a man that can carry two sheets of drywall, four feet by eight feet. And it's like a big wingspan, right, to hold something like that? I got this, and I got it all by myself. Didn't break it, didn't crack it. It was perfect, just like I pulled it off the shelf. I don't need nobody's help. And here's the thing. We take that same attitude to everything else in life. Oh, there's a problem coming. I don't know what to do with it. That's fine. I'll figure it out. I got this. i I'm. This is nothing to me. I got it. But here's the problem. There's certain things in life you can do that with. Drywall, lumber, uh, building supplies, you know, your budget, whatever. There's certain things in life that you can't do on your own. Primarily, you cannot change your eternal destination on your own. Of everything that's the most important in life, where you spend eternity is the most. What happens when you die? You can't change that on your own because here's what the Bible says. You and I have sinned against the holy God. We've broken God's law. We deserve to go to hell because we're sinners. That's what we deserve. That's what all of us deserve, myself included. If we go in our own power after we die, we'll stand before God. He'll judge us. We're guilty. The penalty, the consequence is hell. You're gone, over and done with. But God loves you and God loves me too much to allow us to go to hell unwarned, unloved, and and without any other options. So he sent his son Jesus to die in our place. Get this. You deserve to die. I deserve to die. We should all be punished for our sin. But God took his only son, Jesus, and punished him instead for us. I was supposed to die. Jesus died. I was supposed to be punished for my sin. Jesus was punished for my sin. But here's the the catch. This is the most important thing you'll ever hear in your entire life. You have to make a decision for yourself to believe that and receive it. You can be The knucklehead at Home Depot that's like, "Uh uh-uh, I got this. I don't need no help. And you can stand before God going, I don't need any help. And God will say, okay, then you're welcome to pay the penalty on your own and you're going to hell. Or you can say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. And help is found in the person of Jesus Christ. You must be born again, Jesus says. John chapter 3, verse number 3. No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The only way that you or I or any other person on planet Earth will ever make it to heaven is by faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of your sins. That's it. So it looks like this. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he's the only way to heaven. And I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. If you believe that and you receive that, you can be saved born again. Well, I'm just going to try to do better. You can't do better. It doesn't work that way. I don't cover up the mess of my life that I made by trying to do more better things in the future. I need someone to pay for the wrong that I've done. And Jesus is willing to pay that if you're willing to put your faith in him. But so many times in life, even us as Christians, we don't need God's help. We got this figured out. I don't need wisdom. I'm, I'm smart. I got this figured out. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. I'm going to do it on my own. And let me just tell you this, you'll be greatly disappointed with what you find when you do it on your own. One of the other reasons why we find it difficult to trust in the Lord is we're tempted to trust others. We believe other people have the answers, and they're smarter than God, better than God, going to give me what I want. For me, one of the best friends I've ever had in my entire life is my dad. My dad. I grew up in a Christian home, was thankful to be raised by Christian parents, and my dad's made a gang of mistakes in his life, but he's my best friend, he was the best man at my wedding, and when I joined the Navy out of high school and began to, you know, navigate the waters called adulthood, I I used to call my dad for everything, like, hey, my car won't start, what should I do, and he told me what to do, and it's like, man, there's nothing that my dad can't fix, absolutely nothing, my dad is, by far, he has a high school education, he's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life, I mean, just genius level, like, smart. And, like, there's nothing that my dad can't fix. And then there came a point when I was probably around maybe 24, 25 years old that I called my dad and I'd ask him a question because he knows everything and he can fix everything. And I realized my dad's just kind of making it up as he goes. (laughs) He's not as smart as I thought that he was. Like, there's things that literally stump him that he just throws out some random idea. And it may work and it may not. But he's just trying to navigate the waters of life by himself to see my dad make poor life decisions and things that the Bible would call sin causes me to scratch my head and go, wait a minute, maybe my dad isn't the Messiah figure that I thought that he was. And then I realized, I think I put my dad up on a pedestal too high that was reserved for God alone. That's a dangerous place to be. And then I realized, my dad's just a regular guy. Is he smart? Man, he's smart as a whip, you know? Is he resourceful? One of the most resourceful people I've ever met in my life, you know? Because you know a lot of really cool stuff, lots of really cool stuff, but at the end of the day, he's just a guy, and he's going to fail me at some point. For my kids, I want to be the best dad that I can be, but I tell them from the get-go, hey, look, Daddy-O is going to fail you one of these days. I don't have all the answers as your pastor. I love you fiercely. I love you dearly. I pray for you every single day, but I'm just another guy. I'm going to fail you at some point. Please don't put your full faith and trust in me because it's misplaced. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 25 verse number 19 that confidence in an unfaithful man in the day of trouble is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. Putting your faith in someone in a difficult situation that doesn't have a 100% track record is only going to leave you in a whole lot of pain. And so again, I can't trust in myself. I can't even trust in other people. I have to trust in the Lord. But we find it difficult to trust in the Lord because we're tempted to trust in what the world has to offer I've heard Christians before that are so short-sighted that say, well, I wish I wasn't a Christian. I could enjoy life like everybody else. And it's just like, what does that even mean? enjoy life as if God's keeping something from you, as if being a Christian is some curse that you've been cursed with that you can't enjoy life the way that everyone else does. No, no, no. The, the Bible tells us that God has given us a path of life because in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand our pleasure is forevermore. Psalm 1611 tells us that. No, no, no. God's not trying to prevent you from having a good time. He's trying to maximize your joy. It's not a drag. And let me just tell you this. The world doesn't have the answers for what your soul craves. We think to ourselves like, oh, what the world has to offer me. Money, status, wealth, you know, a platform where people look to me and think that I'm somebody. That's what I really want. That's really going to be empty. Again, you can't get God's blessings by going out to the world to get them. It doesn't work that way. You get God's blessings from the Lord. Isaiah 31, God rebukes the children of Israel. Important tip whenever you read the Bible throughout the Old Testament, and Egypt is referenced. Egypt is always referenced in a negative connotation. It was a place of slavery. It was a place where God's people were in bondage. Lines can be drawn that Egypt is a picture of the world or a picture of sin. And and again, just like every beautiful story in the Bible points back to Jesus Christ, You see how Egypt, the children of Israel, God's people were enslaved, and then God sent one man on behalf of him to deliver them from the bondage of their slavery, to lead them into a promised land that was better than anything they could ever possibly see. Moses is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ has came to save us, not from the slavery of bondage, but from the slavery of sin. And deliver us out into a place that we can't even fathom. So in Isaiah 31, God's really angry with the children of Israel. He, here's what he says unto them Woe unto them that go down to Egypt for help, and stay on horses, and trust in chariots because they're many, and in horsemen because they're very strong, but they look not to the Holy One of Israel, neither seek the Lord. Like, wow, really? You're going to go to Egypt and look for your help? You're going to trust in horses? You're going to trust in chariots? You're going to trust in horsemen from Egypt and never even stop to look to me? What's the application here, pastors? The application is that you and I look for everything in the world that will fix our problems except for looking to God first. So many times I've heard Christians say, oh, well, I've tried to do everything under the sun I can do. I guess I'll just have to trust the Lord. Oh, you got it backwards. You got it backwards. You trust the Lord first and let him work on all the details. God isn't a spiritual 911. He's not your jumper cables in the back of your car. That Man, if I get in a bad spot, he's always there. I know that he's there, or at least I hope that he's there. No, no, no. God is the first line of defense. He's the first one who he wants you to call on him. He's the one who wants you to trust in him because he's faithful. You're tempted to trust in riches. Some people still have the belief that money solves everything. It doesn't. Money can't buy happiness, but it sure makes you buy things that you can make you happy. Yeah, that's garbage too. Let me be really clear here from the beginning. It's not a sin to be rich. The Bible says that, that God increases wealth. Abraham was one of the richest men in the world at his time. The wealth of Solomon, nobody's seen riches like that since the days of Solomon. Like all these, you know, billionaires in Dubai got nothing on King Solomon, like richest dude in the world. So it's not a sin to have riches. The Bible says if God increases your riches, here's what he says, set not your heart upon them. Hey, if God makes you rich, that's fine, but don't put your trust in your riches. Don't put your, your, your trust in your money. Don't make money your idol. The Bible Bible says that that he that desires to be rich leads himself into a snare, into a trap. Hey, uh, Sometimes people say, well, well, the Bible says that money is the root of all evil. No, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. Get Get your Bible straight. God doesn't look down on people who have wealth. God looks down on people who set their heart on wealth, who trust in their riches, who think that, oh, this has what... It takes for me. Because at the end of the day, here's the crazy thing about it. It used to be that money was tangible. That whatever money you had was backed up by gold somewhere in a vault. Now we just print paper and pass it out like it doesn't have any value anymore. And when we look at, you know, money, man, there was a day where one million dollars was like an astronomical sum of money. Like, they had a show on TV, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And they had, I don't know if you guys remember the the show, but in the middle, they had this stack of cash out there, just like $1 million. Median price home in the city of Honolulu is currently $1.1 million. That's the median. You're going to get a house that was built in the 1950s with no AC. That's probably a fixer-upper for about $1.1 million. What's the point? The point that it's not as valuable as it used to be. The dollar doesn't go as far as it used to. Man, I remember when I was a kid, you'd find a penny somewhere, you're just like, oh man, I'm gonna go find a gumball machine, you know? A penny. You get gum for a penny, and it lasted 10 seconds. It was awesome, you know? Now, no lie, last time I saw a gumball machine, it's a double quarter slot with a turn. It's just like 50 cents for gum? What in the world, right? But here's the thing, money has a constantly changing value. At the end of the day, it's not backed up by gold anywhere. It's just paper and numbers. And you're going to put your trust in paper and numbers? Again, I know people who several years ago told me, like, hey, all the money you got in, in retirement, take it out, put it all on Bitcoin. And you got these guys buying Lamborghinis on Bitcoin and stuff like that, making tons of money. They didn't do that. I just like, I, I, don't, I can't do that. Because, again, you take a look at the Bible plan for wealth, it comes from hard work and faithfulness to God, always. It never comes from somebody who's trying to get over on somebody else or trying to leave somebody else holding the bag when you get out of a Ponzi scheme. That's just not how it's done. And and what happened? last six months, the bottom totally fell out of things like Bitcoin and crypto. People lost their life savings over it. mean, people jumping off of buildings over it. Like, why? Because they put their trust in riches, your value is not found by how much money's in your bank account or how much money's in your 401k or your Roth IRA. Your, your value is not found in what type of car you drive or what type of home you have or what type of school your children go to. And your if your trust is there, your trust is misplaced. If you find your value there, your source of value is misplaced. My value is found in who God says that I am. My value is found in the promises of God. My trust, my hope, is found in the Word of God and what God says He gives to His children. So, Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, "He that trusted in riches shall fail, shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch." Psalm fifty two seven. Lo, this man uh, that made God not his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, and strengthened himself in wickedness. And so again, we can't trust in money, we can't trust in people, we can't even trust ourselves. Particularly verse number six in our text, Psalm twenty, verse number six, now I now know I that the Lord saveth his anointed. He will hear him from his holy heaven with the saving strength of his hand. It's speaking here of a battle that the children of Israel in, and God promises to deliver them from the battle. And God's the source of our salvation, but he's also the source of our victory. Take a look at verse number six. I know that the Lord saves his anointed and will save us with what? His saving strength of his right hand. In the Bible, when you see the right hand of God, it's always the hand of blessing and favor, prosperity, strength. That's why Jesus Christ is seated not at the left hand of the Father or an arbitrary hand of the Father, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father because it's a hand of blessing, strength, favor. Favor. And so God says, I'm going to save you, not with a weak hand, not with something that I think I can cook up. I'm going to save you with the strength of my right hand. God's going to save us, but he also provides the victory. Now let me pause here for just a second and say this. God's victory isn't always the same as the victory that you desire. And you got to get that straight. Because when we get the idea that my version of victory is always God's version of victory, that leads us down a path of one of two things. Either God doesn't give me what I want, and then he let me down, or God has to do everything that I want, and he's duty-bound to honor my wishes. Either one of those is a totally errant view of who God is. Look, for some of you, victory might mean you're going to lose your job. You so say, that doesn't sound like victory. Then we're not working in your economy, we're working in God's economy. For some of you, victory might look like sickness. You're like, well, I don't want that. Then, again, we're not playing in what you want, we're playing in what God wants. <laughs> for some of you, this is gonna be hard to imagine, but I'm gonna say it. For some of you, victory that God wants to provide for you is actually gonna mean taking your life. You say, well, that doesn't sound very good. The Apostle Paul said, the song that we sang today, today Christ be magnified. The Apostle Paul says that he wants Christ to be magnified either in my life or by my death. Paul goes, I can live my life for Jesus or I can die for Jesus. I don't care which, Jesus is going to get glory for my life. And so when we say that God's a God of victory, that doesn't mean that, that you're going to get green lights every time and not get stuck in traffic. That's not what it means. It means life's going to come and God's will is going to be done through that situation. And because of that, we know that we can trust in him. Psalm 37, verse number 40, the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in him. Take a look at verse number six. He says, now I know that the Lord saveth. That phrase, now that I know, means I've come to the conclusion. I've looked at the situation I've weighed the evidence, and now I've come to the conclusion that God is faithful. Again, we're talking about trust. He's looking at the track record of God and saying God's faithful, and we can trust him. Verse 7 speaks of going to a battle, how some trust in horses and others in chariots, but we'll trust in the name of the Lord. See, when we go to battle, sometimes we're tempted to trust our weaponry rather than the provider of the weapons. You see, when we go to battle in life, we think to ourselves like, well, I don't need God's help. I'm smart enough to figure this out. Hold up. Who gave you the wisdom that you're making this determination with? Who gave you the ability to reason a situation out logically? That's from the Lord. I don't need God's help in this situation. I I got it covered. I got my, my money straight. Well, who gave you that money? Look, if you have anything, if you have two nickels to rub together, the Bible says... Every good and every perfect gift cometh from the Father above, and who is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. I love what James says there because he says this: that God has no variableness. There's no, you don't get God on a good day and get God on a bad day. Like, oh, well, I hope God's not in a bad mood. He doesn't get in bad moods. Oh man, I really hope God's not having a bad day. God doesn't have bad days. God doesn't change from one day to the next. He's faithful. He's trustworthy. And what you get is what you get from God because he's always consistent. He never changes. He's a constant. That's why the Bible refers to him as a rock and a solid foundation because we can trust him. But when it comes time to do battle sometimes, we're not trusting in God. We're trusting in ourselves. But where did you get those tools from? Where did you get those weapons to fight from? You got them from the Lord. So remember where your strength comes from. Man, I I was skimming news headlines yesterday, and I was thankful that we got, I don't know if it was an F-22 or what it was, I didn't see the final call, but uh, I'd like to think that it was our Raptor groups that shot down the Chinese weather balloon, right? Civilian weather balloon, right? And and I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody in that balloon or not, I'd like to hope so, but um, that was a joke, (laughs) and you guys are just going to think I'm a terrible human being, but here's, here's the thing, know this. Does that bring you concern that there's this large, you know, uh, balloon that's spying on us that just happened to fly over Montana? If anybody knows what's in Montana, you know, like, wow, that's what they're looking for. Do you think that maybe China's working together with Russia because we gave tanks to the Ukraine and now... Russia's trying to get tanks from Afghanistan that we left when we were in Afghanistan. And Russia's trying to fight the Ukraine with American tanks that they bought from the Taliban. And uh, Ukraine's fighting them with American tanks that we sent over there. And they're trying to get together with maybe like India and China to come after us. Here's what I know. (laughs) I don't care about any of that. (laughs) I really don't. You know why? Because I read the back of the book and it's all going to burn. (laughs) <laughs> it's all going to burn. And like if I'm here to see it burn, that would be an awesome show, right? Because at the end of the day, I don't care. My trust isn't in our weaponry, and do we have advanced weaponry? Uh, do we have enough to take them out? Oh, I heard that they're developing a new aircraft that can take on our fifth generation. I mean, I don't care nothing about that. My trust is in the Lord Amen. at the end of the day. Amen. And so, but again, if we, if we don't trust in the Lord... Man, it creates all this worry and anxiety. When we place our trust in things rather than God, we're placing our trust in the things rather than the God who gave us the things. Man, I'm thankful that we have the world's finest military. I'm glad that we have, you know, advanced weaponry. I'm glad that we can defend America against all enemies, you know, foreign and domestic. I'm thankful for all of that. I love it. Man, I I bleed red, white, and blue. Don't get me wrong here. But my trust at the end of the day is not in, you know, our military, my trust is not in our government, or who's in the, the Oval Office? My trust is in the Lord. Amen. And a lack of trust produces worry and anxiety. Again, we're gonna sit home and wring our hands and watch everything that comes across the news to find out, you know, what's gonna happen in retaliation to this, that, or the other. And like, no, I can't live like that. No, like several years ago, this is probably oh man, this is probably fifteen years ago at this point. Podcasts were kind of a new thing and uh, they're available online and, and Fox News was just Becoming really, you know, prevalent. I used to watch The O'Reilly Factor. And then after that, I watched Hannity and Combs. And then if I was really bored to watch Neil Cavuto talk about, you know, how everything that's happening in America is affecting the economy and stuff. And I, got, I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. I'll just admit that. And I found that the more that I began to listen to it, the more I got engaged with what was going on in the world. And, you know, uh, man, I'm angry at, you know, the welfare system. I'm angry at immigration. I'm angry at the health care system. I'm angry at, you know, people who didn't pass this bill that I thought should have passed. And, you know, what's their voting record on this? And I'd get really angry at politicians and this stuff. And you know what I found? That the more that I fed that, the more angry I got, the more anxious I got, the more on edge that I was, because I was worried about something that I have absolutely, literally zero control over. None. Because, oh, you know, if you, if you uh, want to make a difference, you should vote. And again, I'm all for voting. I'm all for the democratic process and stuff like that. But then you live in a state like Hawaii where they've already announced winners before my vote ever gets counted. Did my vote really count after all? I don't think that it did, you know? And so, again, we, we question this, like, what change can I really bring about? The fact of the matter is you can change nothing other than your own attitude. That's, That's it. And you can change where your trust lies. I can't make any change in our nation. I can make a change in my life and my children and my wife and my family and my church family. But, like, man, outside of that, I just got to trust the Lord with everything because a lack of trust is going to give me anxiety. Anxiety. I mean, think of all the decisions you have to make in this given And If you don't have any decisions to make, God bless you. I got something that I'll let you make for me. But like, I mean, just simple things of like, how do I do this? What do I do with that situation? Man, so many, so much margin for error. But man, if I give it over to the Lord... And I'm just not sweating that. Whatever happens, happens. And at the end of the day, I'm just going to trust God. Because here's the thing. Whatever happens in the world, whatever happens in my own personal life, you know, if, if I got diagnosed with a, a terminal illness tomorrow, how's that going to change? Honestly, I'm just going to shoot you straight. It wouldn't change my life at all. Seriously, because I'm not doing anything differently than I would do if I knew I was dying because I already know that I'm dying. I already know that my life is limited. I already have my trust in the Lord. So nothing really changes. We had a, for those of you that were here for our false missile alert back uh, a few years ago in January, you know. You get a text alert on your phone, emergency broadcast, incoming missile alert, this is not a drill. And what do we do? We we gathered our family in the back bathroom here at the church, and we just prayed and waited. Well, looking forward to see Jesus. Didn't think it would be today, but it is what it is, you know. <laughs> no lie, someone asked me, like, did you call your parents? It's just like, oh, I forgot to call my parents. You know, it's just like... <laughs> No lie. Because here's the thing. You are facing impending death in less than half an hour. What do you do? And I just pray and wait for Jesus to come. Like, I'm, I'm good. Like, again, why? Because, get this, get this. This is really important. Why can you have peace like that? Because 20 years prior, Angela and I decided everything that comes into our life, we're just going to trust the Lord. And so we kind of already determine what's going to happen when situations like that. Come, we're going to trust the Lord. You see, trust displaces anxiety and worry. It pushes it out of the way. Hey, I can't focus on that. I'm too busy focusing on the Lord. For those who struggle with anxiety and, and worry and, and things along those lines, Philippians 4 is your jam. you, you got to tune into that. Philippians chapter 4, verse number 6 says, Be careful for nothing. That word careful means anxious. Don't worry about anything, it says, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto the Lord. Hey, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm not going to stress about it. I'm just going to pray, and I'm going to thank God in advance that he's going to sort all this stuff out. I'm just going to trust him. And Here's what happens. Get this. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. That word keep means to grab hold of, to bear hug, or to arrest. So, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to thank God in advance because he's already got it all figured out. And what I'm going to do is God's promise. This is a promise. God's going to give me his peace that I can't even fathom, that I can't understand. And every time a thought comes into my mind, the peace of God is going to arrest that thought and grab hold of it. And you can't. When it happens, you can't explain it to people. It doesn't make sense. My daughter Makili, back in 2021 had gotten uh, an infection of some sort that we didn't know what it was. And she'd gone to the hospital. They didn't admit her to the hospital. She ended up um, getting put into ICU. Her body went into septic shock, which is the last thing that it does before it dies when all of your organs are shutting down. And they didn't know what it was. They needed to give her antibiotics through a catheter that went straight to her heart to get it to her body as quickly as possible. But her platelet count, which should have been around 300 or so, was like three. And they said, if we stick her, she's going to bleed out and she's going to die. And so she has to have a platelet transfusion so we can put a catheter in her heart to pump her full of antibiotics. We we don't even know if they're going to work or not. And so all this is happening in a matter of like 30 seconds. And so, no lie. It was a Sunday morning. I'm up here preaching. My wife's at the hospital by herself. And she's just like, I don't know what to do. And here's what I told my wife. Trust no one, right? Don't sign anything in the world unless you know what you're signing. I joined the military. I signed a lot of stuff that I didn't know what I was getting, and I found out later, right? Don't ever sign anything without reading it. I'm the type of guy that's just like, sign here to decline coverage. Now, now I'm going to read that you know, before I sign it. And So I said, don't sign anything. And so she's literally there. She's like, hold up. I got to sign this. And the doctor told her. Ma'am, you can sign it later. We need to save your daughter's life. That's how critical it was. She was like, okay. So she got through. She was like, I'm so sorry. I, re- I didn't sign it. I didn't read it. I just signed it. It's fine. What's going on? Her body's shutting down. They don't know what it is. They have 17 IV bags hung up on her, her tree there, just pumping full of anything that would, would save her life. Her lungs are filling with fluid. She's, she's literally drowning in pus. Uh, she can't sit up because uh, the, the fluid in her lungs would drown her. Uh, It was just bad, 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 bad. And so my wife and I, went out to the hallway. We prayed and just said, God, whatever you do, you're 100% in charge of this. We trust you. (laughs) And then we went downstairs to the cafeteria to the Starbucks there. And we got a Starbucks, and we went outside, and we sat down, and we just talked. And, man, it was just this peace, this calm through all that that, like, You would think like you would be like in a a, a, just a puddle of tears at the foot of the bed screaming, crying out to God, but there was none of that. It was just this ridiculous peace that like had somebody told me like, hey, your daughter's about to die and you went and got Starbucks and sat down and talked. You're a terrible parent. What's wrong with you? But that's the thing it is. It's a peace that passes understanding. You can't explain it. People won't understand it because it's a peace that passes understanding that God promises to give you to get rid of all the worry and the anxiety that you have to give you perfect peace in the depths of your soul. That's what happens when you trust in the Lord. A peace that I can't fathom, that I can't explain to anybody. Were you concerned? Of course we're concerned. We're parents, but at the end of the day, we're not sweating it. We're not crying. We're not, you know, trying to push and have our own way and things like that. Hey, God's got this and whatever he does, he does. And again, over those weeks and months that follow, we just saw God time and time again, show himself strong again and again and again. And what we found is that God showed up in a really real way for us. She got moved out of ICU down to a regular floor when she did, she was kind of on a corner room that was facing over a parking lot. And she couldn't have visitors during that time because of all the COVID protocols and stuff like that. And so our church family on Sunday afternoons would make signs and come out and stand in the parking lot and wave at her. And she'd wheel her wheelchair up there and look out the window. Just like, you look back at that and it's like, I trust you, God. You've been faithful. You've been good to me. Better than I deserve. You not only saved my daughter's life, you gave me family here where I didn't have family that loves us unconditionally because of your grace, because of your goodness, because of your overwhelming sense of peace that you've given because we've chosen to trust in you. Trust and faith are similar, but they're different. So sometimes people use faith and trust synonymously. They're not. They're actually two different things. Faith comes from an evidence that I have, but at the end of the day, I just trust God and I trust his word. Hebrews 11, verse number one, tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. I believe God's word is true by faith. I don't have any proof that this is the word of God. I just believe it to be so. That might have cut some of you as a heretical statement, but you and I have never seen the actual manuscripts nobody's ever actually seen the scroll that Paul wrote his letter to the church at Philippi on. We have faith that we have the word of God because here's the thing, God promised that he would preserve it for all generations. So because of that, we believe that we have in our hands the word of God, but that's 100% faith, 100%. But there's evidence that points us back to a place where we can make the jump that I believe that this is true. There's no proof that God exists. There's evidence where we can have faith. Again, the Bible says God's revealed himself in all people so that without excuse Romans chapter one, we can look at the earth and creation and say, there is a God, there has to be, somebody made all this stuff, but then we have to make the faith leap that I believe that is God and he's revealed himself to me, not only through creation, but also through his word. Faith. Trust is totally different. Faith is, there's evidence, but eventually I have to take God at his word. Trust is, based on the character, consistent behavior, and a faithful record, I can believe God. I can believe God and trust him because he's shown himself strong time and time again. <laughs> Crazy thing about it is, is when we had so much peace when my daughter was in the hospital because this wasn't the first time that she was facing death in the hospital and had to go in for surgery. She did that when she was one years old. We've been through this before. God brought us through it. He was faithful time and time again. He's never let us down. He's never disappointed us. This is just another bump in the road. This is just another faith opportunity where we get to grow our faith. This is our opportunity to be able to show other people how good God is. Some people say, oh, my gosh, I heard your daughter's in the hospital. Are you doing okay? I'm doing great because I trust the Lord. And they're like, whoa, I don't understand that. Yeah, God's given us a piece that I really can't explain to you. But the Bible promises us that when we are walking in the Spirit, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, and that beautiful word, peace. Oh, man. It comes from trusting in the Lord, though. So I, I trust God because I remember how faithful He is. And so if you want to grow your trust, you grow your faith by being in the Word of God. Romans tells us faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God want your faith to grow, dose on the Word of God, listen to Bible preaching, Bible teaching, and sing the Word. Worship music that's doctrinally solid and sound. That's how you grow your faith. You want to grow your trust? Praise causes us to remember the faithfulness of God and trust Him more. Look back at your life and write out why you have reasons to thank God. Write out seasons of your life that you thought you were done, you were sunk, it was over, and remember how God brought you through that. Remember when all the doors were closed and at the 11th hour that door busted open and God did something incredible. Man, I'm talking so many times with couples who are looking to have children and for whatever reason, God hasn't brought them children yet. I just continue to wait on the Lord. I'll tell them a story of how I prayed for our fourth and final child, man, for six years, and like two of those years were like daily begging God to give us a child, and it just didn't happen. And again, man, we tried and tried and tried and tried and tried, it would not come through and no lie, Angela and I had, had decided, hey, we really believe that God wants us to have another child, and if, if that's the case, we're going to look at adoption. And we downloaded all the paperwork to get our, you know, home study and surveys and things like that, and all the paperwork we had to follow, the state of Hawaii and what the process was. No lie, I downloaded it. It was sitting in my downloads folder on my laptop. And she came to me on a Saturday, and she's like, you're never going to believe this. I said, what? And she was like, I'm pregnant. I was just like, no way. And I was just like, how many tests did you take? And she said, all of them. <laughs> because, again, those of you that, that, that don't know, when you're, like, trying, like, fervently like this, you don't buy, like, one at Long's for, like, $12. You buy on, like, a 24-pack off of Amazon, you know? And so we, like, stacks of them. How many did you take? She took all of them. And it's just like, what? And just, I, I can say through that, if you see my daughter Tallulah running around here, she'll talk your leg off if you stand still for five seconds. But that right there, that crazy little long-haired five-year-old is a picture of the faithfulness of God. And it's got to remember that. Every single one of my children is, is a miracle of what God's done. My marriage is a testimony to the grace of God. Like, a wicked, wretched sinner like me, God gave me a wife like I have, and she's chosen to stay with me. It's not because she's bound to me, it's because she loves me. That's the grace of God. I just need to remember how good God's been, and that will grow my trust. That's why if you read the Bible time and time and time and time again, God tells the children of Israel to remember what God has done. Hey, I want you to stack up all these rocks so that your kids will ask you, Hey, Dad, what's that pile of rocks about? And it will be like, Oh, son, let me tell you about when our Heavenly Father took care of us in a special way. And they're caused to remember time and time again so that we can grow our trust. Are you trusting the Lord? Again, I think in just about every situation today. I was talking to a couple today who's uh, she's due in April with their first child, and he was just like, man, I've been a nervous wreck thinking about being a dad, like, what if I mess it up? And he goes, and I heard today's message, man, I just need to trust in the Lord, you got it, dude. Some of you are facing medical issues that you don't know the answer to, man, just trust in the Lord. Some of you have unemployment uncertainty, I just trust in the Lord. Some of you are trying to figure out, you know, do I have what it takes to make it this week? Trust in the Lord. Hey, my marriage is kind of uh, rocky right now. Hey, trust in the Lord, dig in deep. This is not the time to hit the eject button. This is the time to to white-knuckle the steering wheel and say, I'm not giving up, I'm not gonna quit. I'm gonna trust in God because he's brought me this far and he didn't bring me this far to just bring me this far and and abandon me. He's gonna see me all the way through. And so I don't know what you're facing this week, but I know this, you can trust in the Lord, guaranteed. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, put your faith in Jesus to save you from your sins. I promise you, you will never be disappointed. (laughs) Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m.